Turn with me, please, to the book of Zechariah and the chapter 3. The book of Zechariah and the third chapter. Not actually going to be preaching from it, though I will refer to someone who did uh, recently, but it'll be more topical rather than textual tonight, what we do. But Zechariah 3, and he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now, Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with change of raiment. And I said, Let them set a fair mitre upon his head. So they set a fair mitre upon his head, and clothed him with garments, and the angel of the Lord stood by. And the angel of the Lord protested unto Joshua, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If thou wilt walk in my ways, and if thou wilt keep my charge, then shalt thou also judge my house, and shalt also keep my courts, and I will give thee places to walk among these that stand by. Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wondered at, for behold, I will bring forth my servant the branch." For behold, the stone that I have led before Joshua, upon one stone shall be seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave the graving thereof, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall ye call every man his neighbor under the vine and under the fig tree. Amen. We know the Lord Himself will add His blessing onto the reading of His Word in our hearing tonight. For those that have been any of the former nights in our week of prayer, you will know that uh, the letter B has really come into play in terms of we have described God's people as something that has begun with the letter B on each night. Monday night, God's people are broken. Then God's people are born, carried with the wings of that eagle. God's people are beneficiaries because we have a multitude of mercies that come our way. Last night we considered how God's people were beloved. The love of God is set upon us and will never be removed. And that, of course, is a very gratifying and cheering thought. And tonight, God's people are burdened. So that's the theme that we're wanting to deal with in the time that we have tonight. God's people are burdened. fact of the matter is that every human being carries burdens of some description. Something heavy that weighs them down, that presses down upon their heart, that threatens it's going to squeeze their sap and crush their spirit. 
And of course, if we're looking for alternative words for having a burden, then it would be a load or a grievance or a sorrow or a concern or even a phrase that Paul the Apostle used because he carried a burden. It was a portable one. It seemed to go with him everywhere, that thorn in the flesh. And God's people are not immune from this process of being burdened. Therefore, my title tonight, God's people are burdened. Now, I want to consider in which ways are the people of God burdened. And to begin with, they are burdened with sin. Burdened with sin. I said I wouldn't be preaching in Zechariah 3 tonight, and I'm not going to be, though we will refer to it. But at our minister's week of prayer just last week in Coleraine, Reverend John Wagner preached an excellent message on Zechariah chapter 3. And he showed me, we read there, Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And in Zechariah 3 and 3 we read, Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. The only area of our lives to bring us to the brink of despair is our sin. And we catch sight of those filthy garments. We read that in the passage, and we wonder, raise an eyebrow, why is this high priest standing before the Lord, and he's clothed there in filthy garments? Because these are definitely not the clothing that high priest of Israel should have been wearing. Because when you cross-reference back to Exodus chapter 28, you find in great detail the garments of the high priest described. And they were glorious garments, and they had a hallmark. And the hallmark was holiness unto the Lord. So why now in Zechariah 3 is the high priest standing before God, and he is clad in these filthy garments. He's obviously standing here as a picture of sin. What sin was he guilty of and representing his people? Were they guilty of? Well, let's put it into our own lives. What sin do we have? Does it really matter how we specify it? Because when it does come to our own corruptions, we are no different than they were back then. We could name a thousand and one of them. The hymn writer said, I know them all. And thousands more, and we do know our sin. It's only the hypocrites who pretend that everything is okay and that we don't have sin that we stumble over. Back in the days of the old covenanters, one of their greatest preachers was Samuel Rutherford. Rutherford said, Oh, what spots are yet on washing. Oh, that I could change the skin of the leopard and niffer it with some of Christ's fairness. Now, apparently that word niffer that I had never encountered before is an old Scottish stroke Irish word. So maybe some of you will recognize the word and say, well, I know exactly what that means. Well, I didn't, so I looked it up, and I discovered it means trade, to trade. And so he's saying that he wants to trade the old sins in his life with some of Christ's fairness, his beauty. And he went on to say, were my blackness and Christ's beauty 
carded through other as we used to speak, his beauty and holiness would eat up my filthiness. But oh, I have not cast in old Adam's hue and color yet. And of course, his confession is our confession too. We have to take as a point of starting what Job declared in Job 42 and verse 6, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. We have Isaiah, another example in Isaiah 6 and 5, and he cries out, woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. We have Peter making that confession in Luke 5 and verse 8, I am a sinful man, O Lord. And then Paul, those famous words, O wretched man that I am, Romans 7, 24, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Now, the basic fact of the matter is, if we would obtain mercy from God, we must confess our sin. Proverbs 28 and 13, 1 John 1 and 9, encourage us, emphasize the need for that. We must acknowledge the evil of our supposed righteousness, the evil as well of our clear wickedness, the evil and impurity of our nature. And so what we're effectively doing is we are taking sides with God against ourselves, as David did in Psalm 51, the verse 1 through 5. Now, when he was fleshing out and developing the message at the week of prayer, uh, Reverend Wagner had three main headings then, and they were describing all that was happening here in Zechariah chapter 3, the aim of our adversary, the devil standing at his right hand to resist him, the answer by our advocate. We can't answer him, and it's fundamentally important to notice in Zechariah 3, Joshua didn't justify himself because he knew he couldn't. He could confess his sin, but he couldn't do anything beyond that. It was the Lord who answered the devil on Joshua's behalf, and he does that for us. The answer by our advocate, and then the affirmation of our acceptance. The Lord gave him a change of raiment, put a fair mitre upon his head, gave him promises into his hand. What a transformation there was. And it underlines this fact, this superb news we too can rejoice in knowing that through the merits of Christ's righteousness and His shed blood, God is faithful, He is just to forgive our sins, our transgressions, and our iniquities. A point that is established in Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7, and again in 1 John 1 and the verse 9. This is the good news. This is the glad tidings of the gospel. What is? He taketh my burden away. Did I tell you what happened with Noah? Only a few days after his wee sister Ivy had died, he was questioning his dad during the day and at the dinner table, and Joel was getting all kinds of questions. And eventually he said to him, well, Dad, how did you get saved? And when he discovered that it was one night at home, up in his bedroom, that his mom and dad had led him to the Lord, pointed him to Christ, Noah just sprang up from the table and he said, I need to speak to Granda now, and he can tell me what he told you back then so that I can get saved. And he did make the phone call. 
on a video call, and there were a number of questions. And he had Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress in his hands, and he was going to read the whole story to me because he had been reading that for quite some time, watching the little film that goes with it, and that I think had intrigued and had burdened him. And he says, Granda, why in Pilgrim's Progress did Christian have the burden on his back? But then the sequel, which features Christiana, he says, but why in the next book did Christiana have the burden on her heart? And so we tried to explain that to him, and he went off the phone after a while, after quite a lengthy time. Didn't ask how he could see him during the phone call, and he wasn't pushed into that. But he said to his dad when he got off, I am going to go to sleep tonight. Before I go to sleep, I am going to get saved. And Joel thought he'll leave that. He'll say nothing more about it. And right enough, Noah's up in bed waiting to go to sleep. His dad's going up, uh, having got the two girls to bed, goes into him, and he has a gospel tract that he's reading. And he says, Dad, I need you to read that to me. And he read it, and he says, see those Bible verses? I need you to look them up in the Bible and read every single one of them. And he did that, and Joel said it was incredible how he prayed that night. He said he prayed better than I could in the circumstances. And we were delighted, rolled away. And the burden of his heart as ours rolled away. We are burdened as Christians still with sin. Not only that, burdened with sorrow, burdened with sorrow. Probably the name is rather incongruous and not the best of fits in one way, but Edward H. Joy was a Salvation Army musician. He introduced him to the Thornton Health Corps, Thornton Heath Corps, and he later used that song wherever he went throughout Canada, and it spread like wildfire. It was published in the musical Salvationist back in 1929. And Edward Joy's hymn was, Is There a Heart Overbound by Sorrow? Is there a life weighed down by care? Come to the cross, each burden-bearing, all your anxiety leave it there. All your anxiety, all your care, bring to the mercy seat. Leave it there. Never a burden he cannot bear, never a friend like Jesus. And if we take that first question at the beginning of his hymn, is there a heart or bound by sorrow? Well, as a child of God, the honest answer is, yes, there is. God's people do have burdens. Many times we find our backs are up against the wall. We only really need to pause and scan over our prayer requests that come up each Wednesday night and each night during this week of prayer, and by no means is that list complete. It's only a percentage of the trials that people here are going through. Many names of strugglers don't appear on the list. I'm very aware of that. But even those that do give us a flavor of the need that we have, burdened down with sorrow. I think of the words of 2 Corinthians 1 and 4, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, 
that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. And we have Galatians 6 and verse 2, where the instruction is given, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. A preacher sadly went off the reels at a time, John Stott, but what he said on this text in Galatians 6 and 2 bears repetition. He said, notice the focus is not expect others to bear your burdens. That is self-focused. That always leads to pride, frustration, discouragement, depression. Why aren't people feeling along with me here? Instead, God always directs us to be others-focused and says, bear ye one another's burdens. And then he notes it's a simple command to obey. It isn't complicated. It doesn't pose a huge problem. It doesn't demand a very sophisticated set of programs or infrastructure to deliver this. Just look for a brother, look for a sister who evidently has a burden and help them with it. And then again, notice the assumption that lies behind the command, and the assumption clearly is we all have burdens, and God does not mean us to carry those burdens alone. The child of God, burdened with sin, burdened with sorrow, and thirdly and finally, burdened with supplication. Burdened with supplication. We should be under this pressing, heavy burden that drives us down onto our knees. Burdened with prayer for the saints, first of all. And in Philippians chapter 1, the verse 9 through 11, the Apostle Paul sets before us a template as to how we should pray for our fellow believers. It's worth noting. And we're going through it at a very fast pace here, but we'll make the points that Paul makes. What should we pray for each other? Pray that God will make us a loving people. Cross-reference that into a passage we've been looking at, 1 Corinthians 13, the verse 1 to 3, but in Philippians 1 and 9, that your love may abound yet more and more. Pray as well that God will give us knowledge and understanding in the gospel, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Not enough to have strong passions and zeal. We must always have knowledge and understanding. Romans 10, the verse 2. Pray also, as he does here for those in Philippi, that God would give us spiritual discernment that ye may approve things that are excellent. But in the new year, prioritize. Get the list sorted. Put the first things first. Keep the other things relegated into second and third and even lower spaces. Prioritize with spiritual discernment. We pray as well as he did for the people here, that God would give us sincerity of heart and of purpose, that ye may be Sincere. Where? Sincere in our worship. 
sincere in our works, sincere in our devotion to the glory of Christ, to the gospel of the grace of God. And God, save us, when we're thinking of sincerity here, save us from pretense and hypocrisy. Paul also prays that they would be an inoffensive people and without offense until the day of Christ. We should not be easily offended. We must not also be the cause of offense to others. If men and women are offended with us, let them be offended over the gospel. Then he prays that he would be a fruitful people, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. May we show the fruits of the Spirit and be useful, because if we're not fruitful, we'll be of no use. Be useful in this generation. And above this And above all of these other petitions, Paul is saying this, we want all of these prayers to be answered. Why? Unto the glory and praise of God, that God our Father, that Christ our Savior may be glorified, and that should be our target in all things. 1 Peter 4, 11 emphasizes that as well, as does 1 Corinthians 10 and the verse 31. So, burden with supplication for the saints, but also prayer for the sinners. You'll remember the words of the psalmist in Psalm 119, the verse 136. He was broken as he looked out around him and he saw people who were not honoring God, God's own creatures, not honoring him, not obeying his word. And so intensely burdened was the psalmist that he shed tears, and not a few of them, but a flood. Rivers of waters run down mine eyes, because they keep not thy law reminds us of the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ who looked over the masses of humanity who were refusing Him and saw them lost without a shepherd. Mark 6 and the verse 34. We did initiate a scheme some time ago, Operation Andrew. It's still ongoing. I trust you still have the bookmark. We can get more published if you don't. How can we revive? How can we reactivate? How can we redouble this kind of a burden here? How can we keep going in the footsteps of this Operation Andrew? I think of the words of the hymn writer. We once were burdened, sore with sin, and dark were we and sad, A revival hymn this is, 1859, one of the key anthems of that time. But Christ has washed us in His blood, and He has made us glad. And then we appeal, fly to His wounds, ye guilty ones. His love and mercy share, we cannot leave you lost and lone. We want you over there. Let me suggest four guidelines in closing. How do I pray effectively for sinners? How can I do it in 2023? 
First thing we do is we confess and repent of the sin of selfishness. We can't have the eyes of Jesus to see the lost unless we can get those eyes of ours and take them off ourselves. Oftentimes, our biggest problem when it comes to having a burden for the lost is that we allow our focus to be way too much on our own personal burdens. Unless the chains of selfishness are broken in my heart, I can't have the broken heart of Christ over the state of the lost. How will I pray for them effectively? By confessing and repenting of the sin of selfishness. Then by praying for eyesight to see people as Jesus does. And to see them as He does means we'll love them. Spurgeon said, the soul winner must first be a soul lover. Pray for eyesight to see people as Jesus does. Then a third guideline, commit to getting as close to Christ as a human being may, through the Word, fellowship in prayer, our spirituality, our effectiveness for the Lord is not based upon activity for Him, much as though we sometimes think it is, but it's more based on abiding in Him. The closer we get to Christ, the more burdened, the more love we will have for the lost. And when we abide in Him, activity will follow as night follows day. And the fourth guideline, never drive through your neighborhood without praying for each house. See your neighbors as the Lord saw them. Sheep without a shepherd, and in those drives through the neighborhood, make them journeys of prayer through those neighborhoods. Pray them into the arms of a welcoming Savior. A burden? The child of God is burdened. Burdened with sin. Burdened with sorrow and burdened with supplication. Let's bow together in prayer.